0: Welcome to Sacred Realms. Ah! It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast for the last regular season episode in uh, in season five of Sacred Realms. Uh, Breath of the Wild, of course. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Matt, we made it. We are we are uh, we have completed a game. Uh, Well, yes, we have. uh, The longest season of Sacred Realms so far by quite a bit. And uh, here we are, both in uh, hours played and in episodes recorded. 16 weeks worth of episodes. That is a lot of episodes and a lot of months. And Yeah, especially uh, when you consider that each of these episodes has averaged about, I don't know, a half hour to 45 minutes longer than ones from previous seasons. I mean, like, this is really kind of... You know, I, I feel like we've really gotten the space that we wanted to break this game down um, in a great way. Like looking back on it, I'm actually feeling very proud of of what we've accomplished this season, um, especially just because I was very apprehensive to begin with that we were going to be able to make our format work uh, to, to kind of do this game justice. Yeah, it was always kind of a, a huge concern that what we have been known for as kind of a book review style uh podcast that it might not work for every game and maybe it won't but this was the, definitely the biggest one that we were concerned about and we we kind of I think we made it work I think it turned out really well I'm I've really enjoyed uh our episodes I've actually listened to a couple of them which I normally don't do um and I think I think we did some good here and I think that the game itself just lends to being podcasted about to be honest it's been uh, a lot of fun. There's been a lot of uh, adventure to be had, and uh, it's it's just such a such a well designed, excellent game. It just it really, really is. Couldn't agree with you more, Matt. Um, seriously, like uh, you know, I feel like we can pat ourselves on the back, and as like. You know, not not to uh, not to um, insufferably self congratulatory a way as possible. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely one for the books, I think. But before we get too far into this episode, because uh, your comments about the book club nature of this podcast, I think, uh, is maybe something that uh, our guest. Uh, is going to have a word or two to say about the next two games that we're going to play. <laughs> um, that guest is, of course, Mr. Uh, Max Nichols, my co-worker at Bungie, a uh, frequent friend of this podcast who we're thrilled to have back uh, for this final climactic episode of Breath of the Wild. Max, how are you doing?
1: I am doing great. I've been waiting a long time to come back to this podcast. I was last here, I don't know, episode three or something of this season, which feels uh, like a lifetime ago. Four or four?
0: Five. it was even tied right yep 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 yeah yeah it's <laughs> yeah a lot of game between then and now I, uh, I'll have you know I
1: replayed the entire game just just so I could do this episode with you guys uh, it was a pretty good experience though I can't really complain
0: <laughs> I was gonna say that is that is true that is true commitment I mean like we we certainly do not expect that of our guests you know we we will kind of settle for like a a, a good enough like working knowledge of, of what we're about to talk about but um, hey I, I'm definitely not complaining because I will I will take your freshest uh, recollections um, you know any day that sounds that sounds like quality to me. But did you uh, did you enjoy your time going back through Breath of the Wild? I think you said you did, but expound on that a little bit. I did. I did very much. Um, I so
1: normally I know myself as a player very well, and normally I wouldn't wouldn't replay Breath of the Wild for like another three or four years. Um, It was too fresh in my mind. Like it's only it was only five years ago it came out, Um, and so like when I first started playing it, I was like. The magic isn't here. I already know what's around every corner. Like I'm not surprised. Uh, and then I then I found like a bunch of like self-imposed rules to give myself, which we talked about in my last episode. Uh, you know, no fast travel, no using the map, um, and uh, you know, navigating with dead reckoning and landmarks and stuff. And that that was enough of a shift to how I was experiencing everything to make it all feel fresh again. So I found I found a way to make it nearly as magical as it was the first
0: time. And you did stick to those rules throughout the entire playthrough.
1: I did. I, uh, I never, I don't think I did a single fast travel the entire playthrough. Dang. Wow. Oh, that no, is... I did. I did one.
0: Uh-oh. What was I it? I was,
1: I was out in the gurudu desert stuck on like a rock hiding from a Muldula, Mulduga <laughs> and I didn't really have the equipment to fight it because so I went to the Garuda Desert first of my divine beasts. Ooh, ooh! Uh, and I w- didn't have the stuff I needed to get back alive, so I fast traveled away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll call that a we'll call that a gimme. You know, that's like your that's your one time use. Get break it break glass card. in case of emergency fast travel.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone can fault you. That sounds like a, a seriously involved way to play that game. Uh, I'm kind of with you, Max, you know, I like, I, I've played this game, I think uh, more than you have. Um, but I'm now in a point because like you said, it came out five years ago and this is my fourth time playing it all mm-hmm. the way through. And, um, I definitely enjoyed very much playing through it uh, for the show. Um, I think that it's going to be another three or four years before I come back around to it again. Um, after the sequel comes out, I'll play that and then spend some time just going back through other stuff and playing other games. And then, and then, you know, maybe in another three or four years, I'll fire up a Breath of the Wild one playthrough and then go straight into Breath of the Wild two, um, as I do uh, sometimes with Ocarina of Time to Majora's Mask. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely get that. I, this is a game that's so special to me that I I, I want to give it a similar amount of space um, because I, I don't want to get to a point where it's kind of outstayed its welcome for me. Yeah, and it, I, I didn't get there on this playthrough, but uh, I feel like I was getting kind of close. And then in addition to that, the fact that I was playing it on such a stringent schedule is also not necessarily the way that in hindsight I think is the best way to play this game. For me, but yeah, you
1: need to give it time to breathe. Yep. Uh, Did it, did it ever feel like kind of like a, a job to keep up with the schedule? (laughs) Or did it Um, never cross over that line?
0: uh, I don't know, Matt. What do you think? I think there was a (laughs) couple points that it did. And mostly that was whenever I was Like swamped with other things and then it would come to like Sunday night and I was like, shoot, we have to record this week and I haven't played any of the section of game that I need to play. So I just need to like get on my switch and just knock it all out. Right. Like, yeah. It's uh, Champions Ballad. Definitely that one. That one was rough. Yeah, that one was rough. That one. I definitely felt more stressed to be sitting down and playing a really fun section of Breath of the Wild than I than I should have, honestly. But overall, I would say it never really felt like. I mean, I would say I had a certain amount of professional obligation tied up in it because, you know, we're yeah. trying to make like a we're trying to make like a polished and and good thing here. But for the most part, um, no, I was I was enjoying the ride very much. Like there was still a lot of recreational fun being had, you know, there's there's something really hard about making DLC
1: like expansions like the Champions Ballad mm. for a single player game like this one that has an ending because like who do, do you make it for the players that have already beaten it and you want them to come back and play the the DLC that's coming out like six or eight months later? Uh, like for those people it needs to be kind of a self-contained experience with its own pacing. And it's like, it has its own beginning and its own end. But for the people that are playing it as part of the entire playthrough, you would normally choose very different choices. Like you would put it earlier in the experience, integrated into the pacing of the actual game um and if you go straight into one of these like eight months later dlcs like champions Bell was as part of a normal playthrough the pacing is always a little weird
0: yeah i think that we both found it to be it, it felt very appropriate to just play it last before going and beating the game you know it just it nestles into that spot really well but i, I think overall i agree with you it's a very like the the ongoing release model that that games just sort of intrinsically have nowadays i think is a very awkward one to try and make work especially for like a a zelda game that has a very linear mostly narrative component to it so i'm i'm going to be very curious to see what their strategy is like in regards to the sequel and if they if they do something similar um which i hope that they will i hope that they'll be very upfront about the schedule of that like they were with breath of the wild at least this was the first time they did something
1: like that really for a Zelda game. So they will there the next time around, they will probably have learned a lot about how to do it. Well, uh, I suspect it'll it'll be even better next time around.
0: Well, that's the hope that's <laughs> that is that is a knock on wood from your mouth to, you know, uh, great spaghetti monsters ear. We will uh, we will hope that that turns out to be the case Um We probably need to go ahead and dive right into this whole thing, but real quick before we do, I just want to ask you real fast, Max. You have long been a proponent of getting the first two entries in the Zelda series um, into our play rotation sooner rather than later, and you have now gotten your wish, (laughs) (laughs) so— So I just want to ask you, um, I mean, what do you what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that? Are you I mean, I don't know. Do you think uh, do you think that what we've been doing with the show so far is going to lend itself pretty well to that sort of experience? I mean, I'm open to your to your tips about ways that we need to maybe try and tackle that, because I'm sure in many more ways, even than Breath of the Wild, it's going to be um, interesting to try and make fit with our with our format.
1: I, I think it'll work just fine. Um, Zelda one, you're going to have a hard time with the Z targeting. It's going to because there aren't really NPCs to speak of in that game. Uh, there's a few weird one offs that have like one liners and then the people like make T-shirts about those one lines because they're so nostalgic. But so maybe maybe you'll get a few, but you won't have a character every episode. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's otherwise structured like Breath of the Wild, right? Like it's kind of. There's a bunch of dungeons. You can technically do them in, in a variety of different orders. Um, you might stumble upon level three before you do level two. Um, it's very free form. Uh, and you made your format work for Breath of the Wild, so it'll work again. Zelda 2 <laughs> is more linear. Like you will, You'll be able to do that, and it has a bunch of NPCs, like a ton. So you'll, you'll have no trouble with your normal format for Zelda 2.
0: Well, excellent. If you, if you, if you have that level of confidence, then I, uh, I, you know, I, I trust your judgment. So yeah, we will definitely see before too long, but I'm looking forward to getting into it. I think it's going to be an interesting, uh, challenge if nothing else. And, uh, of course we'll be, um, well, I don't know, actually you said that you, you have, uh, less experience with those than others. So is there any chance you, uh, Any chance you might hop in with us and uh, go along? I'm going to use this as an excuse to finally beat those two
1: games, neither of which I've ever beaten. Um, Wow. I've played like three quarters of Zelda one and like half of Zelda two. Well, Well, that's more than we've played.
0: Well, yeah, that's not hard to do. <laughs> like, I, I I have spent five minutes in Zelda one and I have never booted up Zelda two. So there you go. But good. I'm glad that we're all going to be mostly in this, uh, you know, on this train together and uh, watching how things unfold. So needless to say, uh, Max Nichols, I'm sure uh, you you can expect to see back in the next season of Sacred Realms pod to talk about our journey of discovery that we're all going to be on <laughs> together. But, before that happens, we have got a game that we need to finish up, so let's go ahead and get on into it. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly reexamination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Of course, it's uh, coming out this week on a Thursday, so sorry about that, but, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes we just need to move some things around a little bit and, uh, you know... That's uh, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. So, um, all good there. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game, then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com sacredrealmspod to get access to listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Of course, one of the benefits that we offer to our Master Sword patrons and above is that they get their names read every week on the show. Those legendary individuals are... Ah, oh, frick. I forgot that Patreon changed its interface. Uh, it's all different now. Where is everything? Uh, I found it. Those legendary individuals are Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Leviticus, Melanie, Kolku, Rowan, Joshua, Nick, High Rule Podcasters, Keep It Going Pod, Dante, Jep, Mary, Brittany. Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, also known as your guest of the evening, Max Nichols, Garrett and Drew. We appreciate you all so much. We could not make the show without your generous support. You are truly legendary. Um, how's the Hyrule Interviews thing going, Max? High Rule Interviews is going great. Um,
1: I have, I don't know, like 500 interviews or something in there. Uh, Most of which are just stubs. So it's just like a title and a link to the interview. Um, Much more slowly working through and kind of like adding all the metadata and pulling out quotes. I have a uh, Twitter thread, a Twitter account where I'm posting daily quotes now. And I have a bot that a friend of mine made that is almost done to automatically do that for me. So I don't have to do it myself. A little slower lately because I just moved um, like everyone else here, uh,
0: <laughs> you moved, you yeah, I was going to say with that's, that's a thing that we're just kind of all doing these days. Uh, it's, uh, it is certainly a real estate experience in the uh, United States of America right now, but, um, yeah, you moved, you changed jobs. Of course, it's not like, it's not like your career doesn't keep you busy. So lots of stuff going on there.
1: Yeah. I think I might've gotten both engaged and married since the last time I was on the podcast.
0: <laughs> wow that's uh that's kind of embarrassing <laughs> no it's not embarrassing that's like uh i mean that's like that's like a real life power user thing right there you're just kind of like <laughs> you're, you're knocking out all your big stuff at one time so <laughs> mad mad respect because that is just a that's probably two or three too many humongous life events for me to have wanted to cram into one small space of time, but I respect you for doing it. So and, and <laughs> congratulations on tired. all of that. Yes. <laughs> congratulations for sure. Oh man. It's so, it's so weird. Cause like I knew all of that, but things have been happening so fast and in such volume <laughs> that it just, it just didn't even occur to me that we had, we have not spoken on this podcast since you became a wedded man. But, um, yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's absolutely Awesome. Um, But without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about what we played. We do that every week, of course, in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Breath of the Wild Chapter 16, the finale of the game, which deals with our journey into Hyrule Castle, our fight with Calamity Ganon, and the ending of the game. Part one of the Sacred Realms Rundown is, as always, the plot recap as read by... Matt, I think he's got a big one for us, y'all, so we're going to go ahead and let him get into it. Matt, take it away. We have finally come to the end of the journey that we started so long ago. Ahead of us lies the imposing steel gates of Hyrule Castle, and even from this vantage point, we can see hordes of guardians and massive strings of malice energy choking the castle. The Master Sword is persistently glowing with its purifying light, signifying that malice energy is ever-present in the area. This place, which once was the very hub of light, order, and hope in the kingdom, is now the epicenter of the Calamity itself. But within this haunted place is Zelda, at the very center, keeping contained the Calamity from ravaging the kingdom beyond repair. With her power waning, we have this final and most difficult obstacle to tackle before we can come to her aid. As we enter, we immediately are confronted by multiple guardian lasers from the ground and air. But our journeys and our trials have prepared us for this, and we make our way along the path towards the castle. Along the way, there are almost innumerable guardians, including turrets, stalkers, and flyers. And as we continue along the path, we come to the first gatehouse, which to our shock is guarded by a lionel. This enemy is one we have faced and conquered many times, so we make short work of it and claim the bomb arrows from the chest that it drops as reward. Yeah, but certainly no Lynel gear, because for some reason... I know, reason, some for some reason it doesn't drop any Lynel gear. We're not it's allowed buffed. to have that. It's very so. weird. Anyway... Continuing along the path, we come to various entrances, both constructed and caused by the destruction during the collapse, that lead into the castle itself. The castle interior is no less dangerous, as it is completely infested with top-tier enemies of all kinds. But the loot housed within the ancient palace is equally top-tier, so we spend a great length of time ensuring that all traces of the enemy are wiped from this once grand castle. Through the dining hall, the library, the observatory, and even into the basement docks and the dungeons, we delve and destroy any enemy in our path. The great Stalnox that once guarded the Hylian shield we now carry falls once more into bone dust. The Lazalfos guarding the docks fall under our barrage of arrows and blades. We even take the time to revisit King Rome's study and Princess Zelda's study as well in the mine tunnels beneath the castle we destroy a stone talus and in the guard rooms and armory we bring low some moblins after all is said and done inside the walls of the castle we end up back on the path toward the throne room and come to yet another gatehouse guarded by another higher level lionel this one does drop lionel gear which is very nice In our rampage through the castle grounds, we fell dozens, possibly even hundreds of enemies. We take the time to thoroughly clear out all the guardians and monsters we can find, as the last thing we need is Ganon calling reinforcements or any of these minions interfering in any rebuilding efforts should we win through. After every single enemy is defeated, including the patrolling Flying Guardians, we make our way up the last of the pathway to the Throne Room, where Zelda has imprisoned, and been imprisoned by, Calamity Ganon for the last 100 years. As we approach the Sanctum, Zelda's voice calls out to us once again. She tells us that she can no longer hold the Calamity at bay, and almost immediately, a piercing and sustained Guardian Beam shoots out from a massive growth of malice at the top of the Sanctum, from which Zelda's voice was emanating. The Guardian Beam wrecks havoc around the throne room, and in the end, a massive hulk of ancient technology and malice growth falls from this egg sac at the top of the room. When it hits the ground, it shatters the floor, opening up to a massive chasm concealed beneath the throne room. The chasm is as large as any of the shrines we have come across, but instead of the cool blue glow, it glows an angry red. As the hulking mass falls to the ground, we glide to the bottom on our handy glider and stand fast in the face of our ancient foe. From this mass of technology and malice, an unholy, bastardized embodiment of ancient technology, malice energy, blades, guardian-esque appendages, and miles of maroon hair rise. The face appears to be made of either glowing lights or molten lava, and the eyes sit above a crooked mouth. The monstrosity has at least eight appendages, one ending in a gigantic blade like Fireblight Ganon, one ending in a spear like Waterblight Ganon, and one ending in a guardian cannon like Windblight Ganon. The rear of the monster is a hard shell of impenetrable ancient tech, and as we stand in the face of our greatest foe, it rears and roars its challenge. It is at this moment that the spirits of the four champions who we have freed from the calamity come to our aid. Each cries out for battle and the blood of our ancient enemy and commands their divine beast to unleash its ultimate weapon against our foe. The four beams from the divine beasts each enter the sanctum from specially constructed archways and converge in the middle of the throne room. There, they form a gigantic ball of pure energy, and from the very ceiling that this monster emerged, rains down fire of unimaginable power. We watch in grim satisfaction as the Divine Beasts do exactly what they were designed to do, and pummel Ganon into near submission. When the beam of energy is expended, our foe is still at half-strength, but that is still much more than enough to cause any warrior pause. After enduring such a a barrage, it is almost unbelievable that he still stands. But we draw the Master Sword and prepare ourselves to do battle with the Monster of Calamity. The battle is furious and hard-fought. Ganon is the culmination of each of the blights that we have fought so far, and his health is massive and his attacks devastating. He uses the giant blade as his main attack to gouge the earth, spew fire, and decimate large swaths of area in front of him. Meanwhile, his smaller arms and weapons strike out at random to keep us off balance. Occasionally, he uses his spider-like legs to climb the chamber walls and shoot guardian lasers at us with his arm cannon. But after a hard-fought series of skirmishes, he finally lashes out with his full might by immolating himself. In this phase, he glows white-hot across his whole body and and is entirely immune to damage even from the Master Sword. The only way that we can take Ganon out of this immunity phase is to redirect the Guardian Beam and stun him. His attacks grow more desperate, but in the end, we fell our foe. He lays on the ground, gushing malice goo out of every portion of his body, and cannot even rise on his many legs. But in an odd turn of events, Ganon's physical body disintegrates and a cloud of calamity energy, like we saw from the Great Plateau at the beginning of our journey, rises from the chamber. Unable to follow on our own, we are thankfully transported in a beam of pure light to follow the Cloud of Calamity. We land in Hyrule Field and see a horrifying sight as the Cloud of Calamity takes physical form of a truly gigantic boar shrouded in magenta fire. Zelda tells us that Calamity Ganon has foregone the opportunity of reincarnation and has chosen to take its true final form of pure rage and malice in order to unleash final and total destruction upon the world. Zelda gifts us with the Bow of Light to fight the Dark Beast Ganon, and we mount our trusty steed Epona and charge into battle against this most vile of enemies. As we circle the Dark Beast around Hyrule Field, Zelda tells us that even though her power is waning, she can weaken certain areas on Ganon's body for us to shoot with the Holy Light Arrows. This is the only thing that will even damage this Titan of Malice, so we spend most of our time avoiding the devastating beams of energy that Ganon routinely shoots from its mouth. As we circle the sides of the beast, Zelda lights up three targets on each side of the Dark Beast for us to shoot and after each side has taken damage, the belly of the beast is our next target. As we progress through this fight, the very weather of Hyrule is reacting to our titanic battle, and storms rage as the winds whip up the calamity clouds. Finally, the very center of Ganon's being is exposed, and by using the glider we fly up to take aim at the eye that has appeared in its back. When the arrow finds its mark, Ganon falls to the ground. And Zelda, bathed in holy light, rises from the core of Ganon, and with the pure energy of her sealing magic surrounding her, blasts Ganon with the biggest blast of magic that the realm has ever seen. The explosion drives Ganon and its shade form all into total annihilation. Finally, once and for all, the Calamity has been utterly destroyed. With the Calamity vanquished, Zelda begins to speak to us in person for the first time in a hundred years. "'I've been keeping watch over you all this time,' she says. "'I've witnessed your struggles to return to us as well as your trials in battle. "'I always thought—no, I always believed—that you would find a way to defeat Ganon. "'I never lost faith in you over these many years. "'Thank you, Link, the hero of Hyrule. "'But may I ask—' Do you truly remember me? After the long years, the grueling journey to get here, and the absolute hardest fight of our lives, words seem to fail us as we look at the beautiful princess who saved our lives not only once, but now twice. But of course we remember her as if everything had happened yesterday. As the sun rises over the fields of Hyrule, we go with Zelda to begin the equally challenging journey of rebuilding Hyrule after the 100 years of war. We return to the castle and gaze upon its ruin with sadness, but we can feel that the spirits of the champions and of the long-dead king have been keeping watch over us all this time. After a few days of rest, we find ourselves on a hill overlooking the field of battle, where there is a new crater speaking to the cataclysmic power of Zelda's sealing magic. Zelda is once again in her traveling clothes, and we have donned the champion's tunic and the master sword once more, and the horses are saddled for a long journey. Zelda muses that there is much to rebuild, and it even appears as though some of the Divine Beasts have sustained damage after the battle, and Va-Ruta has even stopped functioning entirely. Zelda also believes that her powers may have dwindled over the last hundred years of constant use, but at the end of the day, she isn't so worried about that anymore. There's a lot of work ahead, and we better get started if we are to build, rebuild Hyrule. And Zelda's faith is that, together, we can rebuild Hyrule to its former glory, or maybe even beyond. We set off on this next journey with our beloved princess, our dearest friend, full of hope and optimism for the future of the kingdom of Hyrule. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. That was a hell of a way to end out uh, this season of of plot recaps, Matt. You've really turned out some bangers in this one. So, ah, well, thank you. You deserve a round of applause uh, for that. So. There you go. There you go. I hope you enjoy it, please. I'm taking a bow. No one can see it. Except, but I, I, except I my recognition. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I, it is it is accepted, and, th- and thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Let's go ahead and get into part two, which is our takes where we talk about this game, uh, uh, this section of the game, and how it made us feel. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, kind of establish a system for the way that we're going to do this, because obviously the entire section of the of, of game this week was basically a dungeon, um, and we're going to get into that in the dungeon map. But I do Just want to maybe spend this time talking about um, the wrap up of the story and the narrative and kind of where where things uh, end for the tale that this game has been telling. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to you first, Max. Uh, I don't know, like yeah i will. i mean just you know no no need to no need to get crazy but just a gut check from you um uh, i mean how do you feel that this section of the game serves to wrap up the the story of breath of the wild um and i guess to expand on that also since we haven't heard from you what how do you feel about breath of the wild story in general with this as its end piece like general broad strokes
1: yeah yeah so breath of the wild storytelling, i think is is phenomenal um largely because they found a way to tell a pretty compelling story that has my personal favorite story of any iteration of Zelda as a character um, while integrating it well into this very non-linear, very open world experience. Um, the whole the whole thing where like, the story is told primarily through flashbacks, and flashbacks are things you can discover out in the world through the act of exploration, which is kind of what the game is all about. Um, it just fits together really well with the experience that Breath of the Wild is. Um, and I think the story they tell is like this very personal story, right? It's about, it's about a, a princess who is a, a teenage girl who is struggling with the weight of the world on her shoulders and, you know, her family puts too much pressure on her. It's actually a very relatable story in that way. Um, so overall, I think it's great. Uh, I... Don't love the ending, primarily because I don't I was I spent the whole game waiting to meet Ganon as a character. And ah, Ganon ah. is never a character in Breath of the Wild. He's a he's like an evil hurricane. Um kind of just this force of nature. And so I, I remember being distinctly disappointed when I went through the finale and and it was like, that's that's it. He's just a he's just a gross guardian monster and then he's a big pig he never speaks he's never a character so i I was very disappointed with that at the time
0: he has no motivation right yeah
1: he's an elemental force of evil which is actually a complaint i have with demise as well in skyward sword but to a lesser extent because at least demise talks to you
0: well, and they're and they're kind of a connected phenomenon, right? Like I think that right. this incarnation of Ganon is very much a narrative response to what uh you know what this team set up in Skyward Sword, um, and, and I think that uh, I think that the portrayal of Ganon in Breath of the Wild, um, as something that is literally just it is it is elemental, it is abstract. Um, it is, um, yeah, it, it lacks personhood in any form. I think that that is definitely very much a, um, you know, a fulfillment of the promise of demise to uh, continue, uh, you know, for his curse to continue visiting uh, that that uh, that hatred um, and that malice upon uh, Lincoln Zelda and their descendants. Um, Which, you know, obviously that's a bit of a retcon, right? Because we have not seen Ganon in that form or in that way in any previous Zelda game to Skyward Sword. Uh, But at the same time, I do think narratively it is interesting because all of the incarnations of Ganon that we've seen in those circumstances, because of the the various splits of timeline and whatnot, they were basically all the same person, right? Uh, It was basically all different incarnations – of Ganondorf, uh, who was born in Ocarina of Time and became the king of evil. And, you know, obviously in like Twilight Princess, we have that version of Ganondorf slash Ganon in the adult timeline of Wind Waker. We have that version of Ganondorf slash Ganon. And then on into the downfall timeline, we have that. Specific incarnation of Ganon, so uh, yeah, I think that this is kind of uncharted territory, right? As the first, um, the first embodiment of Ganon that you ever fight in a Zelda game that was not the physical body that uh, that we began fighting against in Ocarina of Time. So, uh, and I want to say something there. I, while I, I agree that this is a kind of response to Demise's general curse. I don't think that it's necessarily the way it had to go. And I, and Max, I kind of disagree on demise being a kind of force, uh, you know, like a natural force. Uh Like it is definitely, they're definitely going into the, the more supernatural aspect of the goddess Hylia versus, you know, the demon demise, right? They're, they're kind of turning that into in skyward sword. They turned it into a sort of supernatural battle that then gave way to the generational curse of Ganon. And what I took away from that in Skyward Sword was that they were just giving context to the fact that there are multiple generations of Zeldas and Lynx that undergo the exact same thing, and how does that make sense <laughs> outside – like, they, they were trying to give that kind of context, and I feel like in Breath of the Wild – they took that context and then just kind of went out of left field and said well what happens if we took that context and instead of reincarnation we just made it like a force of nature of evil what? and i don't <laughs> think that that was necessary nor do i and i agree with you max that i don't think this is an effective incarnation of ganon you know what i just for realized that reason. Matt? you know what i just realized what demise is morgoth and Ganondorf Ganon. is sauron so, yeah i mean he really is yeah. and then and then hylia Woo. is hylia is kind of auru <laughs> or, or or you know um. Who's, who's, uh, uh in- Iluvatar, 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 yeah, Iluvatar, <laughs> that's right, yeah, and like, they, they, they're doing, they're doing a whole Silmarillion thing here, right, and instead of going full, like, they turned Ganon into the Eye of Sauron here, right, uh, okay, just, well, yeah, but, well, I, woo, hey, uh, hey, 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 there you and, go, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. no, I, look, but here's my thing, I, it, it is very explicitly stated by multiple characters in multiple places in, Breath of the Wild, that the intention for – so basically Ganondorf is is dead in – like he has been killed, If we, especially if we're to presume that this is the end point of the child timeline, which I know there's conjecture about that. But like let's say for the sake of discussion that, yes, this is the end point of the child timeline. Ganondorf, as we knew him from Ocarina of Time into Twilight Princess, died at the end of Twilight Princess. Spoilers. I'm sorry, we haven't played it yet. But uh, – or. <laughs> It is actually kind of ambiguous at the end of that game. But anyway, um, so let's say Ganondorf is dead. Uh, let's even go further and say that the trailers from Breath of the Wild Two are to be taken with you know some some narrative weight, and the the desiccated corpse of actual Ganondorf is below Hyrule Castle somewhere, right? And the curse of demise has somehow left his body to become a corporeal. Well, I think I, I think that, I think it's one of those things where they talk about like the malice and evil that is Calamity Ganon is in the process of manifesting, and it was the intention of that force to regain a full body and to. I don't know. I don't know if it would then be reincarnated as another version of Ganondorf, or what would happen. But I, I think this version of Ganon, narratively, like just from a narrative standpoint, you know, you, we can we can discuss the validity of this approach and how effective it is from a storytelling standpoint. But narratively, I think the reasoning here is that we have interrupted that process, and we are dealing with a half-formed um stage of that reincarnation process which we then interrupt so yeah,
1: yeah. so it so is like, very are interesting can- that zelda tells you straight up that like oh it's giving up reincarnation to put all its power into fighting you
0: right here and now uh, that was interesting yeah which i'd forgotten about from my first playthrough so Lyndon, are you conjecturing that when Zelda entered Hyrule Castle 100 years ago to seal Calamity Ganon, she interrupted its process of becoming corporeal, and that's how we got this amalgamation of goo and technology. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, I I can get behind that to be honest. I think I think that actually helps make this make more sense because really, when you look at Calamity Ganon as a as a I don't even want to say character, but as a monster, it is kind of half formed and it is like, uh, I mean, it looks like, I know you've never played Witcher three, but it looks like the botchling in Witcher three where it's like, Oh, that's like not all there. And it's really gross, but still dangerous and powerful. And, it's yeah, I, I can yeah, get this, I can get this, more with that. This Ganondorf needed a little more time in the oven. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Sorry, Max, we totally like interrupted your flow of thought. there. Oh, so no, you, no, ended, no, you, discussion. you ended your thought totally there. Works. Exactly. You ended your thought train there before we interrupted with, uh, you know, you don't like this incarnation of Ganon because it is not a character. And uh, it's it's kind of a more uh, prime primeval force of of nature so if you're having primeval for dinner (laughs) (laughs) there is one weird there's an interesting angle that though is like
1: even though i complain about that like what would it have looked like for ganon dorf or ganon or whatever we want to call it to have been a character in breath of the wild like how would they have incorporated the character ganon throughout that story like would it have gone well would it have been mm. integrated as well as the story they do have? I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, it and would then, be very and different.
0: Then, that's, of course, putting aside any speculative discussion around to what extent that may or may not happen in Breath of the Wild and Breath of the Wild 2, which we should probably not get too much into because we know almost nothing about. The it's game. hard, though, because like the trailers clearly show uh <laughs> the body of Ganondorf. And right. also it kind of flies in the face of Zelda's uh, statement that it, that Calamity Ganon is giving up reincarnation. Like the, it almost flies in but the that's face a, of it. But that. that's a dead body in the trailer. Like it is, but it also then turns its head to you and like its eyes glow. So it's not like totes dead. It's just mostly dead. We may have I to mean, revisit this. Ganondorf in- <laughs> has been revived before in various Zelda yeah, games. For sure. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please continue. I think that from from a storytelling standpoint, I agree with both of the things that you're saying, which is that putting aside the lore of the explanation, which is valid, uh, I think that when we're just talking about having a big bad, uh, which we can, I don't know, assign any level of of pathos or identifiability to, like – we're definitely not getting that here, and we've gotten that with other versions of Ganon. Like the, you know, we we have gotten a humanized Ganondorf in other versions of other games, right? And uh, who has like motivations, and as messed up as they are, like has reasons for having done the things that he has done. Yeah. Um. And and we definitely do not get that here. And uh, I I definitely I I feel that this was a good end to the story that we've been pursuing. Um, I think that, you know, I, the first time that I played this, Max had a very similar um, experience where I was, my, my expectations of what were going to happen in the end were not necessarily meted out. Um, but I, but I think within the story, the specific story that they were trying to tell, uh, I think I'm happy enough with, with where it all ended. I, I guess maybe even a little provisionally like I I don't want to hang too much of my feelings on this, uh, you know, on the sequel and whatever story that tells. But I, I think that, uh, you know, since Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be a direct sequel, I think in, inevitably some of my thoughts about this are going to take more firm shape once I've gone and, and played that. But for now, I'm happy enough with it, with some caveats. I I do think the actual story of Zelda
1: which is in my in my mind is like the story of Breath of the Wild, Uh, Zelda and the land of Hyrule. Um, I think they have a good ending.
0: Uh, Yeah, I agree. I think that I think that if we when we look at the calamity which has really been kind of represented as the main antagonist of the whole game, right? Is just the calamity in general. And it's an antagonist in such a way that it has caused the entire downfall of the whole kingdom. And the game is more or less about trying to restore Hyrule, but, post-Calamity or fight back the Calamity, right? And and that, it's been presented really from Drop as a fight against a force of nature. So, like, in the context of the game and the antagonist as it has been presented throughout the game, I'm having a hard time figuring out how they could have personified Calamity Ganon as anything other than a force of nature, which doesn't mean that necessarily, I think, that that's the best storytelling method for it, And antagonist in general, I think that they were – that's kind of what they were going for. And if that's what they were going for, I think that they did that well. Yeah. yeah. If that makes sense. It it does. It does. Moving on from Ganon though because, Max, you said it best. Uh, Breath of the Wild is primarily – Narratively, a story about Zelda. Um, you—I don't think you could even really necessarily say that it's a story about Link one hundred percent. I think when it's taken all together, you've gotten all the memories, you've seen all the cutscenes. Um, this is a story about Zelda, and I think that the ending that she gets here is a really good one. And I think that that is, uh, even more true if you've kind of put in the investment to track down those memories and you've kind of seen the story in totality. <laughs> uh. Just inhale the fly.
1: Um, it's uh, something that surprised me in my playthrough right now. Is there are bad endings to Breath of the Wild, or at least less mm-hmm. good endings? Um, I only beat three of the four divine beasts on this playthrough, and there's several points where Zelda has dialogue like about like, oh, I don't know if you remember me, or like you may not remember me all the way, and like the actual ending is kind of truncated. They appear on outside of Hyrule Castle Town and then that's it. They don't really have dialogue. They don't have that that scene up on the hill Um, like the ending is shorter and less satisfying. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I tried to. So in my plot recap, I actually referenced both endings and I tried to kind of mush them together so and and I did that because I went back through I went I always go back especially at the yeah. ending of games and watch videos of the final battles and any dialogue that takes place because I try to be as true to that dialogue as possible and one of the videos that I watched was with that not complete ending right and you get that not complete ending if you either don't beat all the divine beasts or don't get all the memories and it is exactly like you said Max Link and Zelda go up to the gates of Hyrule Castle they kind of look at it and the while the cloud of calamity is gone and all of the pillars are now glowing blue instead of red it's just it's dead it's obviously just a dead castle and zelda and link are both still in their battle torn costumes and they're just very sad and they look at each other and don't really say anything um you know, as they turn their back on hyrule castle and walk away uh you see the shades of the champions and of the king well that happened that happens regardless uh, it didn't for me. Maybe I accidentally skipped it, but um, yeah, that happens regardless. But if you don't have all the memories, then it ends there, and you don't get anything else. There's no dialogue in that scene, right? Yeah, so. no. There's no nobody talks. All the champion shades disappear. King Rome's shade kind of hangs out a little bit longer, but then he also disappears. And uh, the I guess the assumption is that they just go on to the afterlife and don't get yeah. back. <laughs> but I definitely, th- I definitely think that if you it, it, I think it could be a narratively unfulfilling um, ending to the game uh, just by virtue of the fact that it is. It, it does feel very truncated. It feels very incomplete. There's no moment of catharsis where Link is getting to talk to Zelda and kind of like bask in the, the aftermath of all of this. And then yeah. you do only get that if you've recovered all the memories. Um, and I could see where that would uh, lead to a big feeling of dissatisfaction. Um, in the ending of the game if you if you didn't get all of the endings uh, together. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know if... Uh, it's so tough because I like the reward for having done extra things mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily need to do, mm-hmm. right? Um, So, I, like, I, I think that, that that is a decent reward of the player's time in doing those things. But I, on the other hand, could say that the reward for doing those things really is just the experiencing of those things. And if you don't do all of them, then i Don't know that I I like that the player is kind of punished is a strong word, but like is missing out on something um, for having not done that. And, uh, you know, and to that point, even further, it's not something that's happened in any other Zelda game. You know, I think every other Zelda game has ended and told its complete story through to the credits without having to make you work for other stuff. So, so I'm going to dissent on that opinion and, and maybe this just comes from my heavy preference for RPGs and storytelling games like Mass Effect and Witcher. And, and one of the things that I love most about those games is the variety of different ways that you can experience those games and the way in which the, the path you have taken throughout the game influences the, the ending for your characters. And I think that while i wouldn't necessarily call breath of the wild a true rpg they're kind of going in an rpg light kind of way with this specific mechanic of you know the 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 ending of these characters the way that their story wraps up is very different based on what they have experienced throughout the game and i personally love that i think that it pays off in a really big way the time investment to invest in link and Zelda as characters. And the only way you can do that is by going and getting these memories and by completing the divine beasts and by doing the things that you've been tasked to do, you don't have to complete all 120 shrines to get this ending. You don't have to get all 900 Korok seeds. Like you just really have to do the things that flesh out the characters. And by fleshing those characters out, you get a different ending that is more satisfactory to them as people And I think that that is a very strong thing in game design that I like a lot. And I understand maybe why someone who comes to play a Zelda game may not be looking for that because it is definitely not key to previous Zelda experience. But I think it's a very solid addition to the style of game. And I think it adds a layer of depth that maybe some links and Zeldas and other games have been missing. I don't know, Max. Do you think that this is a convention that should or should not continue? forward in the zelda series Uh,
1: boy i have a lot of i think a lot of people do multiple endings kind of poorly the witcher 3 does it in a way that i would consider poorly in most games but not for that game where like you don't really understand when you're at an important story point an uh, important decision necessarily in that game i ended up with a what i considered a bad ending um but that game is all about living in this grayscale world where like you don't mm-hmm. you don't can't like unintended consequences are a thing in the story and the original stories, the novels it's based off of. So it's kind of like yeah. fits that game.
0: It, it's dark. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All the way through. It, um, it really is. No, I think it's, that's a, that's a good example of like three out of the four endings you can get for the Witcher are like objectively bad.
1: <laughs> like yeah. it really is. I don't, I don't love it when a game doesn't tell you or hint to you in any way that you're, you're at a point where you could end up in a bad ending and then mm-hmm. you get a bad ending and like the decision was like 10 hours ago. Um, and you can't much, go back
0: and fix it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm much more in favor of mo- of different endings that are not on a scale of good to bad, but they're qualitatively different. Um, and they, they, they feel like they're a reflection of expressive choices you made throughout a game. Like, oh, you know, you saved this town instead of this one. So like these villagers appear in your ending, like stuff like that. <coughs>
0: Dragon Where Age Origins like, being at my the primary example off the top of my head yeah, that I can think of something like that's that. That's a great a, example.
1: Yeah. Um, what for it, what Zelda...
0: Dragon Age Origins. Oh, gotcha. Okay.
1: Um, for Zelda, I, I generally... I'm unconvinced that it's a good fit for Zelda. I think Zelda generally is like a... They tell you a complete story. Um, and that story generally is meant to make you feel good and give you the best ending you can get. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm a little torn on that. But on the other hand, like, if you don't get all the champions, like, are they going to show you? Actually, they do show you all the champions at the end. So I don't know.
0: <laughs> I, I, question I think that, that would have been interesting. Zelda. Yeah, I think that would have been interesting. Like, if you don't free the Divine Beasts, that champion is not in that cutscene, right? And, and I think this all ties back into Breath of the Wild is very obviously and very poignantly trying to do something different with the Zelda series than other Zelda games have done in the past. And this is a, a another prominent example. The whole game, really, you could say is a departure from, generally speaking, the accepted 3D Zelda formula, right? And yeah. the, the big discussion around Breath of the Wild has always been very polarizing for is this the right direction for Zelda because it is so new and so different? Well, there's no chance we're going to talk about that next week. Oh, there? that is absolutely the <laughs> whole point of next week's episode, right? So I don't want to get too much into that, but I, this is this is another one of those uh, key moments, those keystone moments which separates Breath of the Wild from the greater Zelda context. And is it good or is it bad?
1: Don't know. I, uh, I have one more thought about Zelda endings really quick. Um, something I've, I've fought for years, which is Zelda endings are best when they ha- are very bittersweet. Um, the, all the best Zelda endings, in my mind, are the ones that have like a, a goodbye. Like you have to say goodbye to a character that you are in love with because you spent a whole game with them. Not not necessarily romantically, but like you 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 know you love them as a character. Um, and you know, like *Awakening*, you say goodbye to Koholint Island, the island that you were exploring this whole time Ocarina of time it has uh two goodbyes um i won't talk about the games you haven't covered yet in your podcast but you know there's a couple more uh <laughs> and this one i was like doesn't really feel it's kind of missing a, some of that like emotional oomph that some of these other games have for me and i think it's because it's it's too hopeful like it's it's hopeful that isn't cut the sweetness of it isn't cut as much by by sorrowful stuff. Um, some of it is there, though, because yeah. like Zelda turns around, looks at her home that's in ruins at the end. Yeah, and like that's kind of sad.
0: Still, I don't think at a, I mean, you really don't have your Gandalf and Frodo get on the ship and to go to Valinor and, and, and go yeah. to the Undying Lands moment here. Do, do you think that that is because they were intentionally setting up Breath of the Wild 2? Like the reason – do you think the reason that they left this in the state that they left it was in order to leave that door extremely wide open for Breath of the Wild 2 and the beginning of that game? My
1: guess well, – you- Oh, go ahead, Lyndon.
0: Well, I was just going to say before, before you answer, Max, just a quick caveat. You have to remember too that the original intention was not for Breath of the Wild 2 to be a standalone game. It was going to be – a further expansion so right. there's that's kind but of my point okay but there's there's that but anyway
1: uh and honestly my guess is that they they unlike most of the games they really front load the the sorrow and the partings in this one right like you spend the whole game exploring the post-apocalyptic ruins of a once fruitful kingdom right where everyone's eking out survival and like you all the stories about these characters that are dead. Um, so maybe they just didn't want to
0: end on that note too. I think yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's a good point. Um, you know, obviously what, what narrative fruit this bears going forward. That is a question for another day, hopefully actually in spring of 2023. <laughs> we'll see. Um, for now, let's go ahead and move on from the discussion about narrative and get into part three of this episode, which is the dungeon map, where we talk about the main dungeon of this week, Hyrule Castle. Um, you know, getting into uh, mechanics, music, atmosphere, all those great things. Um, I want to ask everybody a yes or no question real quick before we dive into this. I'm going to start with you, Matt, and uh, then go to Max, and then we'll end with me. Matt. Matt. Yes. Do you think that Hyrule Castle in Breath of the Wild is a dungeon? No. Max, do you think that Hyrule Castle <laughs> in Breath of the Wild is a dungeon?
1: I think it is a vision of what dungeons could be. So,
0: yes. I am going to say yes. Yes. With a few caveats that I'll get into later, but I think overall, yes, I, I think, I think that it is. Um, so I know, Max, that this is a big deal for you. And so I'd like to give you a minute to kind of give us your thoughts on what is kind of done here, uh, because I know that you have, you know, obviously you've got thoughts and feelings about how well it works on its own. But also some things that you're hoping it it is kind of indicating um, towards as we go forward into a new convention of what we even think of as a dungeon.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Okay. Um. So I I could just jump straight into kind of like analytical stuff here. Uh, So I guess I'll do that. I, uh, if you look at Breath of the Wild, um, you know, some of the stuff that makes it very different from past Zelda games is uh, it's, it's nonlinear. They, they focus a lot on kind of their physics and chemistry engines. They call it like simulating, uh, connections between the mechanics where one thing you do could affect another thing could affect another thing. Um, and they, they use this, this like delicious, uh, you know, soup of mechanics to create situations and then ask you to like, figure out how to get through this situation. Maybe you'll do it with the solution we anticipated, but maybe not. Um, there's a bunch of interesting quotes from like Hitimaro Fujibayashi, the game director about their kind of approach to this uh, I have some written over here let me see if I can find the, the good one
0: and and so in the in the parlance of this team because game director means means different things at different places so uh, so would this person be the main creative kind of d- directing force of the entire project
1: uh, sort of that's a good question uh, in Western Studios games are generally led by a combo a 2t d- a, two t- a two person team of the executive producer and the creative director. Uh, and those duties can vary a lot, but typically the creative director is in charge of setting the the creative vision and making sure the whole team is aligned on what that creative vision is. And everyone's efforts are like focused towards the same goals. Whereas the executive producer is more about like, they're more external facing. They care about the business, the budget, the timelines, um,
0: so like your Corey Barlog or your Todd Howard?
1: I don't know those names very well, but probably yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yes, yes. Uh, I do know those names. Um, and yes, you're correct. Uh, so in at Nintendo, they kind of combine those two roles into one person called the producer. So the producer for Breath of the Wild was Iji Anuma. Uh, he was ultimately the the authority over the game. However, uh, they, the producers tend to delegate a lot of the day-to-day creative decision-making to the game director. So you can kind of think of the game director as the slightly lower-ranked version of what you'd call a creative director in a Western studio. So you can think of Fujibayashi as like the second-in-command who was in charge of the day-to-day work.
0: With... Right, with 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 Aonuma being the number one, but also being in charge of the Zelda franchise as a whole. Yeah, Alnuma is the is the
1: producer for typically multiple Zelda games at a time. Gotcha. Um. Uh, anyway, so Fujibayashi said that, like, uh, if you watch, he has like a cool GDC talk where he was talking about, like, you know, we 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 wrote down this list of like design problems that Zelda games have that we want to overcome. And one of those problems he wrote down was uh, players are stuck in predetermined sequences of events. Quote, not being able to move forward with an event without having followed a set path, end quote. Uh, Or, quote, it could be that unless you have gone through a predetermined set of experiences, clues or difficulty may not be appropriate. So they started, end quote. So they started with these as like core problems they wanted to solve with Zelda. They wanted to make it so you could play freely Without having to follow their set paths and set solutions through problems, um, and the whole overworld is like that, right? The, sh- the, sh- the over every challenge you come across, every monster camp, every boss—they all have like various different ways you could fight them, different strategies you could use, different ways the weather could impact things, um, and you could come at them from any direction. You know, freeform all the way down. Um, And then the the Divine Beasts, which are, at least in my mind, the dungeons of the game, don't follow that pattern very well. Um, They're they're much more constrained, not nearly as freeform. There are set solutions to a lot of problems. (coughs) And I said in a previous episode that I thought if they took classic Zelda dungeon design, which is a very intentional... uh, generally linear series of experiences where they introduce mechanics, teach you those mechanics in like a easy form, let you encounter that mechanic again in a harder form in like the next room. uh, And they have this very carefully ramped sequence of events. Um, I said in a previous episode, if you plopped one of those into breath of the wild, it would be really jarring because it would be so different of a play experience than the rest of the game.
0: So you're talking about, for instance, like in the Forest Temple in Ocarina of Time, where you start off by shooting a Poe painting, and then you fight one, and then you progress through uh, increasingly complex versions of that fight with other Poe paintings, where then you have to like solve a puzzle, and then finally you have to fight four of them at a time, and they have to be done in that order. One, they ramp up in difficulty and complexity from one to the next to the next
1: so 3d Zelda games do a very good job of creating an illusion of non-linearity, but they typically are very linear and there's only mild deviations you can do in most 3d Zelda dungeons. Um, a little bit of backtracking or like maybe there's a point where you can choose room a or B in either order, but you have to do them both before you can move on to room C. Um, so yeah, so that is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and a divine beast always felt like this kind of, bad uh what's the word i'm looking for um when you meet halfway
0: compromise
1: Compromise. yes a bad compromise between the two styles um and i think hyrule castle represents is a big experiment i think that this was them trying something and there's some quotes out there that like indicate that this was like a hard thing for them to do like they spent a lot of time on hyrule castle Um, which is maybe why they didn't make more of these, but they found a way to make a dungeon that felt in many ways, like a dungeon where it's, you know, there's, there's combat, there's secrets, there's puzzles, some puzzles, not very many. Um, but it still had the qualities of breath of the wild where every situation could be approached from different angles and solved in different ways. Um. And I don't think it's really perfect. I don't think it's all there yet. Like it doesn't, it still doesn't quite feel like a dungeon. You can kind of just go in and cut right to the boss and then you're done. Right. Uh, if you kind of know what you're doing. So that that part doesn't feel like a dungeon, but I feel like it's a good, uh, you know, format that they could expand to feel a lot more like a dungeon that does fit Breath of the Wild's pillars
0: so i i want to like jump in there because i'm the only one that said no and previous to this episode i had said yes but um and what i want to say there is that like the the last thing that you said about jumping straight to the boss making it not feel like a dungeon like i think that's the entire point of it not being a dungeon is in my mind a dungeon makes you go through certain things You know, and in Breath of the Wild's case, I think they could have done it in a nonlinear fashion. But still, you have to go through a certain tier of obstacles or enemies or puzzles or combination thereof to get to the end point, which is the boss. And that is not required whatsoever. In fact, the first time I played Breath of the Wild, I accidentally stumbled into the Sanctum way before I wanted to. And like, I just didn't know that like that's that that's where I was. And I think that while Breath of the Wild's whole shtick is free form, do it, play the game however you want, no rules, no regulations. um, I think that that alone kind of is what makes. Hyrule Castle, not a dungeon. I think Hyrule Castle is an excellent example of what a combat gauntlet can look like in a freeform space outside of Trials of the Sword. I think it is an excellent exploration of what can we do with a massive space that has lots of rooms that are connected by various different tunnels that you can explore in any way you want that are full of enemies. Um, I, I can't think of a single puzzle like off the top of my head. Like it is, you shoot some client, you shoot some malice eyes or you open some doors with like cryonis, uh, cryonis. but that's not really a puzzle. That's just the use of the game engine. And I think that it lacks those key aspects of what make a dungeon, a dungeon. And I want to like compare it to a game like Skyrim, which is also free form, but there are semi dungeons in Skyrim where you enter uh, a, a, uh, a tomb and you have to, you can't get to the end of the tomb. You can't get to the Draugr death Lord until you open the gates and you do that. Not necessarily all in the same order. You have other rooms you can explore. Maybe you have a way you can get around a certain room unless you sequence break the dungeon by glitch or by entering through a way you're not necessarily supposed to. You have to go through certain things before you get to the boss. And this and Hyrule Castle lacks that entirely. And I want to say, I don't think that that's a bad thing for Breath of the Wild being the game that it is. I don't think that that is bad. I just don't think that it qualifies as a dungeon because it completely lacks those elements. And I need to I need to just hop in and say that I agree with everything you're saying, Matt. I think that that's a very succinct summation of, um, of an argument for why you might say that this is not a dungeon. I think... We've had a lot of conversations throughout the course of this game about divine beasts and, you know, the final trial and all that and why they do or don't feel like dungeons to us or why they do or don't scratch that itch in in most cases saying that they don't. Right. For me, Hyrule Castle scratches a certain itch that I haven't had elsewhere in this game, which is that it has a very specific sense of uh, place, Right. Um, you definitely get a very big feeling of exploring a part of of Hyrule and having the freedom to explore it. And, and, and like it has a lot of character, all of its own. Right. Obviously, that's something that we really missed in the Divine Beasts, because all they really felt like was bigger, more complicated shrines. They had a similar aesthetic. They had similar, um, you know, similar vibes and mechanics. Um, the final trial, I would say touched on this a little bit more because if for no other reason, it is, you know, it's all underground. It's all in one contained space that you're set to explore. Um, and, uh, even though it does have very shrine like mechanics, I kind of got a bit more of that sense of place that I had been kind of missing from the divine beasts. And in Hyrule castle, I have that to an even greater degree just because this feels like, um, you know, it, it feels like what we always wanted to be able to do In Ocarina of Time or Twilight Princess or whatever, which is there's Hyrule Castle. Uh, I want to go in there and look around and, you know, like fight my way to the final boss or whatever. And to your point, that is not the way that you have to play this. Um, And many people don't and many people don't on accident right like you were saying a lot of people get to the final boss fight without having done any other parts of it just because you can totally do that with no barriers um and without having any indication that that's what you're doing i think that's a very valid point but i still i still get some of those sense of place vibes that i really want out of a dungeon and i think because of that i that more than anything else i think um you know, has me kind of agreeing with Max's uh, kind of assertion that this is a good launching point. Like, the, I think there's 75% of the ingredients here that you need to be able to do a really excellent dungeon in a fully open-world, non-linear 3D Zelda game. Um, and the 25% that's missing is absolutely 100% some kind of necessary progression or puzzle mechanics like you're talking about, Matt. I do think that the combat here is really great. I think that... Um, This area, more than anything else, makes me really mad that there were not similar combat challenges in the Divine Beasts, Mm -hmm. right? Because, uh, you know, if you you set about to explore Hyrule Castle and to really experience the whole area like we did – Then you come to rooms like I'm thinking about the library, right? Yep. Where you've got a whole lot of high powered Lazalthos in there. Some of them are archers. Some of them are like spearmen and all that. And you kind of like if you're trying to conquer that room completely, then there's almost kind of like a Batman Arkham like sort of feel to it where it's like, who do I start with? Where do I go from there? Do I sneak? Do I fight all these guys at the same time? Whatever. And I think that that is really fun. I mean, the combat of Breath of the Wild is something that I've always really loved about it. And I don't think that it's ever been leveraged in a um, dungeon adjacent space uh, until we get to Hyrule Castle. And I think that it's it's really done very well there. Um, I, I do want to say that uh, playing it on master mode the way that I did, I do wish that there were some gold enemies in here. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not. And I just think that that would have been a fun little extra bit of challenge. Um, but that that that's kind of a nitpick. I guess it was still plenty difficult. Matt, I know that you and I had specific ways that we were kind of tackling this. Like we went into it um, with a dungeon mentality where we were yep. like, okay, this is the final dungeon. How are we going to choose to try and, and take it down? I know for me, um, I did a thing where I discarded all of my weapons except for the Master Sword. And and I went in just with that, and and like my whole thing was like, I know that there's plenty of kit in here. I'm going to fight enemies and pick up gear and make it to Ganon just with whatever I can find in Hyrule Castle. That was my big thing, and also a commitment to try and explore as much of the castle as I could without feeling like at this point I'm just like going way out of my way for no reason, you know. So my my commitment was to kill every single enemy in the entire vicinity of Hyrule Castle. So as soon as you enter the map to where the map disappears and all you get is the 3D rendering of the castle, I committed to kill every single enemy within that space. And that included all of those annoying guardians that would fly from the other end of Hyrule Field all the way into Hyrule Castle, like periphery and then right back out. So I killed all of those bastards and uh, I explored every single nook and cranny of the castle interior uh for s's and g's i uh used the master sword um until it ran out of energy and then i didn't use it anymore and just ran through any weapon that i still had and i tried to get all of them to either break or just be like i just wouldn't use the master sword again until i got to calamity ganon um so i ended up breaking most of my melee weapons and a couple of bows and got to Calamity Ganon and put on just like my best gear. So master sword, Hylian shield. And I I didn't want to use any triple shot or five shot bows against Calamity Ganon. I just feel like Calamity Ganon is not a hard enough boss to need that kind of firepower. Um, Still didn't use any ancient arrows and didn't do any of that kind of stuff. So um, definitely like kind of gave myself as much of a, challenge for the combat as I could. Um, didn't use ancient armor, so I didn't get any of the like triple bonus to ancient weapons and I didn't get any of the plus plus guardian resist or anything. Um, just went in with my knight's armor and my uh, fierce deity mask like I always do um, and went all the way through uh, to the sanctum that way. I also did not upgrade my, cause I was wearing the, the whole tunic of the wild set. Yeah, and I didn't upgrade it at all. So you receiving. were running with three, three yeah. defense on all yeah. pieces. Yep. Max, is there any specific <laughs> way that you kind of like tried to? I don't know. Tackle this.
1: Yeah. So the first time I played this game five years ago, um, I I went in through the front door and I played kind of like kind of like Matt. Uh, I didn't I didn't decide I needed to kill everything, but I wanted to see every room. I wanted to explore every nook and every cranny of every room. Um, because that space is amazing. Um, I totally agree with everything you're saying about sense of place, Linden Like most of Breath of the Wild, other than the Divine Beasts, has a really strong sense of space in every village, every zone. But Hyrule Castle, more than any place else, is just oozing with it. There's so much environmental storytelling in there. Um, you can really feel like the desperation of like the castle defenders. Um like, you can see this, like, grandeur where it's it's simultaneously preserved more than it is anywhere else in Hyrule, but also despoiled and ruined by the monsters there. Um, Like, it's just, it's fantastic. And also, that music, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, every yeah. excuse to bask in that music.
0: Which weirdly has, like, shades of the Ballad of the Windfish in it. I've always wondered if that's intentional or not. I don't know why it would be, but, like...
1: Yeah, it's totally, it's got to be intentional, but I don't know why, right? It's kind of a weird thing to throw in there. Yeah. Uh, but um, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, this time. <laughs> so, so yes, I, I wanted to, every excuse to be in there as much as I could um, and absorb that sense of place in that story. Uh, This time around, I was underleveled. I didn't have my gear upgraded. I didn't have very many hearts. I didn't have any upgrades to my stamina wheel. Um, so I was like, if I try to fight things, I'm going to die. And I kind of tried to sneak in. So I went in through the um, there's a cave you can access from the water um, that leads you into kind of like the back of the mines or something like that. I don't know what exactly they're supposed to be offhand. Um, but I kind of like was able to fight a Hinox, then go up into the library and pretty much tried to sneak from there. Other than finding the secret rooms in the library because they're fantastic. Right.
0: Yeah. And and so I think that again that that does speak to the versatility of this kind of solution, right, where we were each able to kind of pick a way that we wanted to try and tackle it and we were all able to do that. I think that uh there is a conversation to be had about whether or not um that Level of intentionality on the part of the player should be required to really get the most out of it. Um, and I don't know that I feel very strongly one way or the other. I can see a good argument either way for for why that's a good or a bad thing uh, overall. But I will say that for my specific experience playing through this game this time, I think that it was a boon to you know to to the amount of fun that I was having with it. Um, so. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I guess that's kind of like I, I'm I come down kind of neutral on that balance, but uh but yeah, I, I think that there's definitely enough to play with here to where it can be it can be very fun and it can be very challenging and yeah, just very curious to see how much of that sensibility is carried forward, um, into the sequel and then to future 3d Zelda games, because I think that there's definitely, there's a kernel of something there. And if we can call this a test bed for future things, then I, I think it is, a I think it, I think it is a promising one. And I, I really truly hope that that's kind of what it is. Um, there's, let's talk. Oh, sorry, Max, go ahead. Uh, there's one thing
1: worth mentioning, kind of like a, game design world design wise which is in an open world game like this especially with like this very free form of climbing and revali's gale movement options that you have um it's a real challenge to contain the player right to make them go along paths you want instead of just avoiding every challenge you might throw at them um and i noticed a ton of strategies they use in Hyrule castle to prevent you from just freely going straight up to your goal all the way through. Uh, More so than you really see almost anywhere else in the game, other than shrines where they turn off your wall climbing. Um, But uh, some examples are like, there are one way doors um, in this place. There's a lot of, places where there's uh what are the what do they call the demise blight the purple malice malice there's a lot of places where there's malice blocking paths and on one side of the malice there's an eyeball you can shoot but if you approach from the other side you can't reach the eyeball so it will like literally block your path um there's places where there's bombable, bombable walls and it's obvious they're bombable if you look at them from one side but not from the other um there's lots of rain here. It's pretty likely to rain. And when it's raining, of course, that prevents you from climbing freely uh, in a way that feels more natural than the Shrine's method of just turning it off. Uh, so there's there's a bunch of strategies like that that they use. And, of course, just dangerous enemies, right? Like, if you go out into the open, you'll get sniped by five Guardians. Like, that's, that's going to constrain what you do. Um, but they use all these tools in their tool belt. Here to kind of force you to go through more combat gauntlet challenges and along and either find hidden ways up or fight your way through.
0: I think that I think what could have turned this into a dungeon for me is to have the entrance be locked until you do a certain thing. And whether that is, I think it would have been kind of fun. This is just me kind of freewheeling of like, it would have been kind of fun to have this all four of the sanctum arches where the divine beasts shoot in, to have them locked off, including the main entrance, until you did something somewhere in the castle that, you know, maybe they color coordinated on the map to to a door where like you go here and you complete a challenge of some kind, even if it's just complete, even if it's just beating a hard enemy and it it opens up that door. Right. And once you open all four doors, you can enter the sanctum and fight Ganon. I think that is, and I don't know if it's easy, but that's like one thing that could have turned this for me into a simple combat gauntlet exploration, heavy, you know, agree totally on your sense of place comment, Lyndon, but it could have turned this into an actual dungeon for me yeah and and to that point i think that any any puzzle of that kind would have i i think uh most desirably uh leaned heavily on the runes and that toolkit as being your main items that you're basically using in this game yeah and i i think the biggest criticism that i really have about hyrule castle is that As much as we've been forced to use all of those things to puzzle solve in shrines and divine beasts and wherever, everywhere else in the game, they are not really a super necessary part of what you're doing here outside of, you know, moving from maybe from one hidden room to another to find like a good sword or something. Um, I think that the, the runes as puzzle solving tools are almost completely abandoned here and i think that that is a little disappointing because i think that this game has spent so much time setting those up and and like the mechanics and systems that they that they live by um like we've become so familiar with them and so fluent in their usage and then to not really have them be a major factor here i think is a little disappointing um and and i'm very curious as to why the decision was made to maybe not involve them in a in a greater way but um, we can only speculate about that but anyway if, that 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 that's kind of where I'm at with that
1: if you think about the runes um, they are not super well integrated almost anywhere other than in the shrines in the game like they're kind of they're kind of powerful and useful and flexible tools but if they don't really typically have very many situations where they're like crucial problem solving tools, unless they have a very contrived, like you have to hit a switch that's hidden in a certain way or blocked off in a certain way, uh, which they really only seem to be able to achieve in the divine beasts and the shrines.
0: Right. But I think that that's what would have turned this from a, I think that's what would have turned this into a real true, dungeon by anybody's standards right Right, i think that yeah i think that that alone would have turned this into a true dungeon right because uh, what we've said all season is that the shrines and the divine beasts were kind of dungeon light material right like they were half dungeons kind of little challenges that tried to take the place of the ocarina of time or majora's mask dungeon right and it feels like they they had this opportunity to really create the mother of all dungeons in Hyrule Castle by combining what they have with what they have previously put us through in the trials of, of shrines and divine beasts. And they just didn't do that. Like they in in one case for the divine beasts, they completely for they completely went away from any combat and went all puzzle, all sh- all uh, runes. And in Hyrule Castle, they completely went away from any runes or any puzzles and went all combat. And it's just like, it's kind of head scratching to me that you wouldn't take what you've spent all game propping up as your main dungeon replacement. And then get to the final supposed dungeon and do none of those things. So that was kind of a head scratching game design moment for me. Because what we've talked about a lot with Zelda is that throughout the course of the game, they introduce you to mechanics slowly so that you get used to them so that you know what to do when you come to the culmination of that mechanic to use it in all of its glory. And Hyrule Castle, in my opinion, should be that. And the shrines and the divine beasts are the intros to that, but then they just completely depart from it when we get there and go the complete opposite direction of just pure combat and exploration. Kind of confusing.
1: Yeah, there could be, uh, I mean, I'm right, I'm going to speculate about what sort of production stuff might have caused this, but maybe that's a bit of a tangent at this point.
0: I think it's it's definitely something that's very hard to firmly answer and, and we can really just speculate about. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, I think the, the final result, we can all agree, is something that is at the very least uh, fun and a really excellent uh, challenge to kind of go out on in this game. Uh, but, you know, maybe like obviously we can think of a few ways that it might have been done differently or in some cases maybe even better. Let's go ahead and move on to talk about uh, the uh, necessary endpoint of mostly any dungeon which is the boss uh, of course we have the final boss of breath of the wild uh, calamity ganon and then um you know uh, what 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 is, what do they call dark beast ganon dark beast ganon right so we we basically have a two phase boss fight here which can be a three phase boss fight depending on how many divine beasts you've conquered or not um i want to say that Whatever you think about the character of Calamity Ganon, I do think that the final fight down in that crazy room below the Sanctum is a fun one. I think that it, it's it's a fun culmination of all the mechanics that the 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 Blight Ganons kind of had and threw at you, um, all kind of uh, mushed together into one beefy. Um, challenging ish enemy i think that if you have a real mastery of um the combat mechanics of this game then calamity ganon is not super hard and i i kind of wish that he was a little harder but i do think that there's um there's definitely a very fun sense of scale in this boss fight calamity ganon himself is intimidating and the mechanics that he uses are varied enough to keep the fight interesting so let's talk about calamity wow. ganon before we move on to dark beast ganon yeah. um matt where are you at with 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 the first phase of this fight. And actually it does actually, you know what, Max, let's go to you first actually, because you said that you did not beat all the divine beasts. So that means you had to fight at least one blight Ganon before you got like launched down into the the bottom area. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had to fight fire blight Ganon because I skipped, uh, death mountain, um, skippable. (laughs) <laughs>
2: and that, that, was,
1: that was pretty straightforward uh, I kind of just powered through it I don't even think I really figured out all of its mechanics because I didn't remember from five years ago I kind of just blasted it um, it's pretty easy because I don't think it's scaled up at all and the, most of the lights are pretty easy just to begin with you can kind of just chew through them with any weapon and any combination um, and I think uh, the room you fight it like normally when you fight them you're, you're in a room that's designed around them uh, but in this case, this room is—you know—they tried to design it around four potential bosses, um, so it's kind of more of a generic arena um, that's less tailored to the the abilities of the boss.
0: Yeah, um, because any 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 divine beast that you haven't beaten, you have to fight that boss in the throne room before you fall yeah. down and fight actual Calamity Ganon. Let's talk about the Calamity Ganon fight, Matt. How did you feel about that? Um, yeah, I, I like it. It's, it is not monotonous, unlike the, the blights. Um, it is, like you said, that's varied. Um, I think that it is fairly easy, especially if you've done all four divine beasts and he only has half of his health. Um, it doesn't take you very long to get him dead. And, um, especially if you've done like what we did, which is get really good at combat in the game from, uh, perfect dodges to uh deflect it parry deflecting guardian beams um arrow time mastery like all of that stuff really can turn this fight into a uh not such of a much um but on the plus side i think he's an intimidating design character i think he's a kind of a cool design um from just like what he is uh, uh amalgamation of malice energy and ancient technology is spider like thing. That's pretty terrifying in my opinion. Um, And uh, yeah, like I think they did a good job on taking all of the blights and kind of combining them into one character to give a, a larger scale challenge. I love the arena and the setting. I think it's very spooky and intimidating and um, it makes it feel like, Hyrule Castle was built almost like the temple on Coruscant where it's how it's like built on top of the the bad thing as if it's there to contain it. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I, I enjoyed that a lot. So, um, yeah, I, I think overall it was fine. Um, much like the Blights, though, I think that it's just kind of easy and not super challenging. What about you, Max? Where are you at with it?
1: I I actually generally agree with most of what Matt just said. Um, I think it's okay. Like it, it's scary. There's there is an emotional tone to this fight, which is that like this is a horrifying monster in front of you. Uh, It would if I found this like in a cave out in the world, I would be terrified. Um, As the final boss, it lacks the emotional stakes that I would expect from a final boss in a Zelda game or, or any game, but especially from a Zelda game. Um, like if, if you compare it to the second to last form of any of the other major 3d Zelda games, um, like Ocarina of time, the first form is Ganondorf up at the top of the tower. Uh, and there's, you have the whole game's worth of like emotional baggage coming to play and he forces your friend Navi away from you and, you know, it's this whole thing. Um, or you you mean Navy, right? (laughs) Or, or, you know, or like Twilight princess, uh, you know, there's a, there's a really cool second to last. Well, the two forms before the end, um, first and second forms are both like these really, uh, tonally interesting. One of the first one is emotionally interesting kind of fights. You know, they, they all do these things, And then this fight is just kind of like, yeah, it's a big spider monster. It's as if you were fighting Goma for your (laughs) first form of the final boss.
0: That's Um, actually, that's really interesting. I hadn't even considered that. But yeah, it's like, it's ancient Goma (laughs) that you're kind of fighting here. (laughs) Oh man. Oh, Oh, that's scary. (laughs) (laughs) The actual combat is, is fun. I think,
1: I think it's a fun boss has varied attacks. You have to bring a lot of your skills to bear, um, there is an interesting thing where like it's possible to go through the entire game without ever learning how to do perfect parries. And then if you are one of those players who did that and then got to this boss, you're kind of uh, not in a good place. Um, I watched, uh, I watched someone play through the game and not know how to perfect parry, And they got to this boss and they like, they were stuck. Um, they didn't know how to beat the boss.
0: That sounds like a not good time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, other than cases like those, I think for most players, they're going to get here and they will have developed the skills they need and then they'll feel like they need to bring them all to bear. And that's pretty cool. Um, But yeah, a little easy. If you're someone who actually played all the the content and got decently good at the combat, it's it's trivial.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Let's move on then to talk about Dark Beast Ganon, which is the exact opposite of the Calamity Ganon fight in basically every way. And that, uh, to me, also includes the, uh, I guess, the versatility of mechanics, the tone of the combat arena. You know, basically everything about this fight is the exact opposite of the Calamity Ganon fight, um, where you're just kind of you're, you're riding around on a horse at the feet of this immense malice monster. Um, this crazy magenta fire version of of the boar that we've fought uh, several times in other Zelda games, right? Um, and I think that to me, this fight especially leaves me a bit cold more than the Calamity Ganon fight. I think it's got an incredible sense of scale, like the fact that you're you're kind of just out in the world is. Um, is a good decision like i think it's appropriate to end the game in that setting because that's been the setting of the entire game like this massive open world space that has that sense of scale that's been the entire hook of the game and so i think it makes sense to end it here i do wish that there was a little bit more to the dark beast ganon fight than just um shoot some glowing targets to, Mm to 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 like beat it you know, like I wish that there was some kind of actual combat challenge here because there's basically none. This is basically just a horseback shooting gallery when you really boil it down. It's like if the Garuda training ground was shooting cannon. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. That's an excellent point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like it's, it's not that it's not fun. It's just that it's very easy and it's uh yeah, I don't know. It, it does not feel like a culmination of any combat skills that we, we've really developed in Breath of the Wild up until this point. Um, but I, I really do have to emphasize that I do – I love the way that it feels. I love how massive Dark Beast Ganon is. It's a really cool set piece, if nothing else. But that is all it is. It is a set piece. Um, and, and I don't know. I, yeah. But feel free to disagree with me, Matt, but I, I kind of feel like you probably won't yeah no, i I don't disagree in any way, shape or form. I think that um while cool in set piece, I love specifically the way the weather just like goes absolutely haywire. It's like the sun rises. The sun rises and sets like a, a ton, or at least it looks like it. You go from dusk to dawn to night to rain to, to howling wind, like all over the place. Um I like that a lot about it. But <laughs> um Zelda is like basically giving you a tutorial the whole time you're doing it. She's like, I'm going to light up these targets and you need to shoot them with the bow. OK, now go to the other side and do it. All right. <laughs> now look at the belly and shoot that one oh my gosh, look at his back. It's lighting up like a Christmas tree. You should probably jump up in the sky and shoot that big glowing eyeball, which is really just, a. at this point, it's a trope, right? Shoot the eyeball as the weak point um, <laughs> in a Zelda game. It's just a trope, a meme. Uh, like <sighs> A game that has done so little with heavy-handed signposting takes its final climactic endpoint battle and makes it entirely signposted like play by play. Here's exactly what you have to do. You're really not in any danger either, because he's very easy to avoid taking damage from. He shoots in one direction. He has a very long charge up time. He just kind of stands there and takes it like this fight is not hard in any way, shape or form.
1: I played this a week ago and I literally don't even remember what its attacks are. It has one, and it shoots. It shoots a
0: flaming beam out of its mouth.
1: That's literally. You're standing behind it. You're fine. Yeah, my problem, like I, there's there's a lot of things wrong with this fight, but uh, it feels like they bit off a design that didn't really work, and maybe they didn't have time to redo it or, or what. But like, it doesn't feel very dynamic. Like nothing in this arena is moving except for you. Um, it doesn't. Feel like there's a fight it's not really there's no there's no <laughs> there's no like give and take happening you just get to shoot arrows at it this essentially stationary thing uh it has a huge sense of scale but it's kind of lost on you because when you start you're already right there um at least i feel like it's not emphasized as much as it could be like imagine if you started the fight off and it was in the distance and you had to horse ride towards it and it was shooting at you. And like, it starts off looking small, but it's really far away. And as you're horse riding towards it, you're like, thing is huge. It's getting bigger and bigger, bigger than I ever thought it would. Like it's missing that kind of something movement through space to, to emphasize the scale of it. Um, and of course I have the same emotional, uh, lacking in emotional stakes problems that I think the first fight has, uh, if you compare this to like the final, the Ganon form fight in Ocarina of Time where Zelda's on the sideline and the Master Sword's been knocked out of your hand and, you know, it's got that amazing music. I don't remember the music from Breath of the Wild. Oh,
0: we absolutely, uh, yeah, I don't even remember it from Breath <laughs> of the Wild, but uh, Ocarina of Time music is amazing. Yeah, yeah. for sure.
1: Or like, uh, you know, Skyward Sword has this amazing set piece. Uh, after Ocarina of Time, every O three 3 Zelda has like this mano-a-mano sword fight with the final boss until this one. Uh, And they all feel really personal. um, And that's missing here too.
0: Yeah. I will say there is a, I mean, this is a total exploit, but you know, people who are really good at like, I don't know. There are glitches you can do in this game to like gain infinite flight and and crazy things like that. I've seen weird screenshots of people doing that in the middle of this fight and you can actually like you can go all the way up to anywhere in the in the world. You can get up to like Death Mountain for instance in the middle of this fight and you can like look down. And it is really cool to, like, see Dark Beast Ganon in scale next to, like, Hyrule Castle and the rest of the field from that vantage point and just how massive it is. I mean, again, that's, like, not intentional. The game designers never intended for you to be able to do that. But I do think it speaks to what you're talking about, Max, which is that the opportunity was there in engine to do it that way, right? Yeah. And I am I am disappointed that, that that was not a route that was taken. So, I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, I, I think that's... Uh, I think that I still stand by what I said earlier, and that this is a great ending to Breath of the Wild. But I do think that when we're just talking about great final bosses in Zelda games, Calamity Ganon and Dark Beast Ganon do not crack into the the top tiers for me. Um, they're definitely kind of down there. Uh, and uh, you know, I that that's not to say it really takes anything away from how I feel about the ending of the game because it doesn't. I, I love the ending of this game, despite that but despite that qualm um and and there is a little bit of disappointment there but you know it, yeah it just uh <laughs> something that i hope they kind of learn from going forward and and whatever the final fight in the next game is i i really hope has some more stakes and difficulty and grandeur than than this really does because i think that in a way that no other part of breath of the wild has felt like this one definitely feels video gamey you know um Like, it it feels very video game boss, and not even necessarily a boss from a great video game. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess that's what I would have to say about that. Real quick, before we move out of this section, Max, I I have one really quick question for you. Um, So, we've had three different styles of dungeon in Breath of the Wild. We've had Divine Beasts, we've had The Final Trial, and then we've had Hyrule Castle. Which of those conventions of, I guess... Du- you know dungeon flavor in breath of the wild do you think was the most successful uh,
1: i think as a as it is now i think the the final trial from champion's ballad is the most successful dungeon experience in breath of the wild um as, i agree as I agree. a dungeon the way we might think of traditional dungeons, um like yeah. hyrule castle stands out more to me i think it's Cooler in overall in ways that are not necessarily putting it into the dungeon category.
0: Yep, I completely agree. And that is that's actually basically exactly how I feel as well. And I think Matt could say the same, right, Matt? Yep. Word for word, more or less cool love it all right well let's go ahead and move on to the next section that is part four which is bloopy trails where we talk about anything that diverted our attention Um, there's a lot of stuff to find in Hyrule Castle as you're sort of exploring Um, I had two main bloopy trails that I did Um, one is that uh, on my way from the Great Plateau because of course I I mentioned last week I always I start my last stretch of Breath of the Wild always from the Temple of Time I save there and then when I'm going to go beat the game I booted up and I go from the Temple of Time straight off the plateau towards Hyrule Castle. Um, But I swung by Lon Lon Ranch and visited it for the first time in my playthrough of this game i love going there it's really cool to see it i love that direct callback to an ocarina of time location and uh i cleared it out of enemies not because i had to but because i feel like uh somewhere in the afterlife uh malon and talon would appreciate that there's not a guardian and some gold book goblins um kind of Traipsing around on their uh, on their old home turf. Um, The other main one that I did is I went to the library in Hyrule Castle and I discovered the chamber, which contains King Rome's journal, uh, which has some really interesting stuff from King Rome's perspective that kind of humanizes his humanizes his character a bit um, where he talks about how he recognizes the pressure that he's been putting on Zelda throughout the entire game. He resents himself for it, but he sees it as necessary. Um, And then it kind of goes all the way like the journal recounts his feelings about Zelda and his relationship with her from the time that she's very young, from when her mother dies, all the way up through her unsuccessful attempts to unlock her ceiling magic. And then the final entry is that, uh, you know, he knows that she's going up to the Rue Spring to try one last time to unlock that magic. And if she doesn't succeed there then he is prepared to tell her that uh, at this point he trusts her to unlock it in her own time and he's ready to stop kind of putting pressure on her to, to do it on his timetable and um, And of course, that's sad because we know from the cutscenes that we witnessed that he never gets that opportunity Uh, on her way back from the Lanayru Spring. The malice breaks out, the collapse ensues, and uh, yeah, and and King Rome is killed in Hyrule Castle and the kingdom is decimated. So he never gets that chance to to have that moment of catharsis with Zelda.
1: It's a tragical cherry on top of the tragedy that is the rest of the story.
0: Couldn't agree more, but it's, it is really good. It does add some shading and it does make me sort of wish for, I don't know. I like, I think it would have been weird at the end of the game to have a moment where the ghost of Rome has a conversation with Zelda. I don't know if there's a way that that could have been done. That would have meshed well with the ending cutscenes of the game. Mm -hmm. But I do just, I, I, I kind of wish for closure between those two characters in that way. Uh, but you know, uh, alas, it it was never to be. Speaking of, uh, alternate endings that
1: that let you kind of express your choices this is an area where it would have been cool if like if you find that diary there's Mm -hmm. a little notification that's like link takes the diary and puts it in his
0: inventory and then you give it to Zelda you dude you literally took the, to you yep. took the words out of my mouth you took the words out of my mouth yeah. was like I feel like that would have been a good kind of tack on to Zelda's dialogue at the end of like I'm so glad you were able to give me my father's journal and knowing how he really felt like just help like I think that could have been an easy exposition there um just. Purely from Zelda's perspective, just like talking about how she's grateful to have that glimpse into her father's life that she never felt like she had. Yep. But no, Max, you literally took the words out of my mouth. So I don't know. Great minds think alike, or yeah, I should yeah. be Jealous that I should be jealous that you took my thought. But we hire we'll you just on the go. Team. <laughs> you have to learn to speak Japanese first. Yeah, definitely not. I'm not gifted in that way. <laughs> Matt, uh, Bloopy Trail, did you did you have anything here? So not really. Like I said, I explored every single nook and cranny of Hyrule Castle, and I found a new one that I'd never seen before. And I actually pulled up my switch and pulled it out so that I could show you. Um, you can go to the top of the Sanctum. You can get on top of the egg sac that Ganon is, uh, Calamity Ganon is hanging out in, um, and you can walk around on the. Very topmost floor uh, of the throne room it looks like there's maybe like a crypt in there from maybe a past king or maybe even the queen. Um, it's also where one of the ex treasure chests is, where you can get the royal guard cap. Um, but that was a really cool room that I had never previously explored, and I thought that was kind of neat to be able to see it from a different perspective. And like, there is a point where if you you can walk down the spiral stairs and kind of explore the top ring, what I think is like the gallery section. Where people might sit during court or whatever, you can kind of walk around there a little bit. But if you get too far down the second flight of stairs, it activates the cutscene. So you're kind of you can't explore it too terribly much. But um, yeah, kind of a neat place that I'd never really been to before. So kind of cool to walk around and see some sights. You can actually get all the way up in the spire, by the way. There's like a chest at the very top of the spire of Hyrule Castle. I think there's an ancient arrow in it. There's so. five. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, which is silly because they don't even do anything against Calamity Ganon, but... So neat. <laughs> <laughs> that was really my only bloopy trail, something I had uh, yet to discover that yeah, I found this, is this time a, around. This is a really cool room, actually. I, I have been in here before, but I forgot that it looked exactly like this. And it is really interesting to see. I mean, there's like a there's like a sense of kind of impending dread as you're looking yeah. at this, right? It's very alien, like with the eggs. Like, it's got the those weird veins that go through it and it's it's got like a sense of creepiness that you're just like i don't want to know what's in there like I, I want it to stay closed forever it's gross i don't, very, I don't it's like it. it's very majora's mask yes it is i like it max did you have any any bloopy trail adjacent thing that you wanted to talk about here i did not
1: not for this section of game i went i loaded it up after not playing for a week and then i went straight to hyrule castle uh i mean the closest would be that i took i specifically took the time to search search out rome's study and zelda's study yep Um, because i knew i loved the story content environmental storytelling in those places
0: yeah yeah Fair enough. Definitely. All right. Well, that takes us into part five, which is Z-targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Matt, uh, who will be your final Z-targeting pick of Breath of the Wild? Well. There's not really a lot to choose from I was about to say. You've already already picked Zelda. Yeah, you have Link, Zelda, and Calamity Ganon, pretty much, (laughs) are are your picks. So I think I've also already picked Link. Haven't I? I don't remember. I don't think so. Maybe. Um, you know what? I will go with uh, Calamity Ganon, I guess. Um, not much of a character, but more of an interesting take on the curse of uh, reincarnation. Uh, not one that I necessarily like or uh, agree with the direction they went uh, as far as tying it back kind of through dialogue explicitly to the demise curse. I I think that that was a direction that I don't necessarily love. Um, But with Lyndon, your comments about, you know, maybe this has more to do with the fact that Zelda kind of interrupted the incarnation process. I think that kind of gives it a spin where I can get a little bit more on board with it. So uh, a unique take on uh, the classic Zelda enemy of Ganon that, you know, Hit or miss, love or hate. Uh, it was it was definitely very unique. There you go, Max. Do you have a Z targeting? Yes, uh, mine is uh, Rome
1: Bosforamus Hyrule. Uh we spend the whole game. I mean, really, just a couple cutscenes. But you know, we we start the game off meeting him, and he's this relatively. Kind kind of mischievous old man, and then we spend every the rest of the game after that seeing him in cutscenes where he's this harsh, taskmasterly father to Zelda who makes her miserable her whole life. Um, and then we finally find his study and his journal in the, in Hyrule Castle, and we kind of get his private thoughts and we hear his regrets about how he feels like he has had to act and his kind of tragic decision. Um, To change his ways when it is too late and the damage is done. Um, And so I just think that's like a very compelling story for a character who is otherwise not treated as a particularly important character. Um, So, yeah,
0: he's my pick. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. um, I think more than anything else adds some emotional shading to the conflict between himself and Zelda. Um, And I like that it's there to find. I think that we have enough characterization around. Zelda, certainly, but also around King Rome in this game um, to where that does have emotional weight, even though it's not even a cutscene. It's a bunch of text strings on, on your screen as you're reading the journal. And I, I, think, I think that it still has got weight behind it, and that is an impressive a- accomplishment, and I, I think that's a really good pick. Um, I have not picked Zelda yet <laughs> in this entire game, and I was really saving her for the very end. I think that, uh, for all the reasons we mentioned earlier, this is a great culmination of her story, where she does with Link's help finally managed to make good on the promise of of her bloodline to be able to seal away calamity ganon um and i really like the hopeful note that she has in her voice in the final cut scene where you know there's a lot of stuff that's happened but moving forward there are brighter days ahead and they have a plan for how they want to try and bring um the kingdom back um you know, from, from this utter ruin that has been visited on it. And uh, yeah, I, I think that she's just got a great arc. I don't know if, uh, actually I was going to make some observations on how I feel about this version of Zelda versus Skyward Sword, but that actually probably needs to happen next week. All that is to say, um, I, I really like where Zelda ends in this game. And I think these final cutscenes um, are appropriately weighty given the, the conflict that she went through uh, in earlier cutscenes. Um, yeah, I just I really like I really like where her character ends up here. Yep. For the record, I would have chosen King Rome, Bosforama, rule, except I chose him, I think, like in one of the very early episodes, I think in episode one. So yeah, yeah. didn't want to didn't want to double up on that. Well, I'm glad it was an option for me. <laughs> you had no such restrictions. It would have been weird if you chose King Rome in the Eventide Island episode. It like,
1: would have been a little odd. <laughs> like,
0: huh? Okay. Yeah.
1: By the way, uh Age of Calamity is basically like someone going, Okay, what if we have like wish fulfillment, like alternate happy ending fan service for like all of these characters that are otherwise tragic stories in Breath of the Wild proper. Uh because you do get your your <laughs> Rome, some Rome moments in Age of Calamity that would have been I know.
0: Before. And I thought about mentioning your- it, but it feels just kind of like a tangent to this conversation. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I appreciate those, especially just because they do feel like the same characters because, uh, you know, the art style and voice acting and everything is in line. And like, the, you know, they're alternate versions of these same people. So it's not that that didn't affect me when I played Age of Calamity. I just feel like... Um, you know yeah, age of calamity is kind of whatever for me um so yeah i mean yeah but yes if if you're really if you're really jonesing this for that a
1: recommendation for age of calamity by the way i, uh, <laughs> I actually a haven't very, played it very mediocre game
0: it's yeah i would agree with that it's especially if you're just not disposed to that style of game then i i yeah i I would agree with you max but uh yeah if you just if you really feel like you need a little bit of that extra you know what if sort of scenario then there it is it's right there for you in all of its like nominally 30 fps but most of the time 15 fps glory (laughs) (laughs) i only ever played the demo of that game uh it's fine It's whatever. I'm I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, All right. Well, that brings us to part six, which is our final thoughts in Uh, which we, as always, lay it on Matt to (laughs) sum up an entire section of game completely off the cuff, (laughs) which is much harder to do some weeks than others. And I feel like this one's going to be a very hard one. The... The final chapter of Breath of the Wild really takes into account everything about Breath of the Wild from an exploration and combat perspective that has made the game such a joy to be around uh it It takes what is, I think inarguably the most unique and most s- grounded sense of place in Hyrule castle as a set piece that we've had really in the entire game and expounds on that in a really fun way that encourages you to explore and dive deeper and try to find every nook and cranny that you can while enjoying the, the combat system that breath of the wild revolves around and also getting a lot of really good loot. We culminate all of this into, uh, the the final fight between Link and Calamity Ganon and the Divine Beasts and then Dark Beast Ganon and Zelda. And, and this grandiose set piece that moves from uh, basically a haunted cavern underneath Hyrule Castle with the monstrous form of Calamity Ganon. Um, we get the champions and the Divine Beasts involved in this fight in a very satisfying way that pays off the lengths that we've gone to to f- uh, free those Divine Beasts from The Calamity's Control uh, moves through a fairly satisfying, if easy, boss fight um, and then off to an even more grand spectacle of a really joke of a final fight with Dark Beast Ganon that does not pay off in difficulty or mechanics the set piece that it's been given. All of that ties out into uh, what is kind of an emotionally um, cathartic ending. If you have gone through the trouble of freeing divine beasts and regaining your memories, you end with a very emotional scene between Link and Zelda where Link or Zelda is questioning whether Link really remembers her. And then if you've done all those extra things, you get a really, really satisfying and hopeful ending as we set off to uh, rebuild the kingdom of Hyrule alongside our best friend and uh, potentially love interest Zelda, uh, which leaves the door nice and wide open for uh, what we hope to be an excellent sequel moving forward. So ties it all up in a really uh, breath of the wild kind of way, grandiose and uh, very centered in, in place in a set piece. Well done, Matt. Uh, one, One small observation from something you just said is something that we didn't mention before, which is the quality of Hyrule Castle as basically being a character unto itself. In mm-hmm. this game, yeah, that we've always kind of seen on the horizon, that challenge has always been visible um, from all points of the map. We always knew it was coming, and so entering it does have a, a very specific sense of dread, uh, just because it it basically has loomed over the entire playthrough of this game. And so I think that that is uh, that's a really great observation, and yeah, I, I think uh, if nothing else, a great um, a great fulfillment of the promise of this open world and the sense of scale that yeah. it has. But that does take us to the end of the final Sacred Realms rundown in season five, Breath of the Wild. Uh, it's been Whew. it has been a long ride, but we finally got here. And uh, yeah, I feel like we've, we've had some great stuff to talk about. Um, and Max, I'm very grateful that we could have you on for this last one to really kind of give the discussion um, a lot of the weight and and a lot of the um, specificity that it that it kind of deserves. Yeah, it's been a joy to be here. I I loved it. Definitely, definitely a great guest to have on for this last episode. Uh, And then, you know, uh, here further down the road, once we've all had a chance to play the sequel, we'll be able to kind of sit down together and roundtable about, uh, you know, the way that we kind of feel about some of these things in light of more narrative um, continuing off of the story of this game. So that's an exciting possibility. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, before we get out of here, Max, I want to give you one chance real quick to go ahead and plug where people can find Hyrule interviews just because I think um, you know, it wouldn't have been a Max Nichols episode if you didn't have a few great quotes to drop that were relevant to the discussion <laughs> that we were having, and you certainly provided those. So if you could just please let everybody know where they can go to find all of those and more.
1: Yeah, so probably the most accessible place for most people is Twitter, where I, ha- I run the account at Hyrule Interview. No S at the end because I ran out of characters. uh, And post daily quotes from Zelda creators. Uh, But you can also go to HyruleInterviews.com and find the actual database that I've been building, which is just kind of this big raw database you can click through and check it all out
0: awesome stuff I highly encourage everybody to go check that out because um, yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of great context in there that uh, will hopefully fill in some informational gaps um, that uh, people may have had around decisions that were made in Zelda games and the ethos that kind of went into their design so definitely great work that you're doing over there Max Um, of course like I said we will have you back on Sacred Realms again uh, in the not too distant future in the meantime I'll talk to you at work (laughs) because we can do that now (laughs) Uh but but in the meantime seriously thank you for stopping by always a pleasure. Yeah absolutely. Matt I feel like I already know the answer to this question because it's midnight and uh, this episode is now clocking in at about uh, two hours two. and five minutes but yep. <laughs> are you ready to get out of here? <laughs> I am I am ready. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, we will, of course, be back for our uh, our traditional recap episode that will be going live next Wednesday. The detective will be joining us once again to help us uh, rank and review this game amongst the other ones that we played and to help uh, form our final thoughts around uh, the totality of Of the Breath of the Wild experience. But until then, let's go ahead and get into some outro. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to Patreon.com/sacredrealmspod to become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. We're actually just shy of hundred right now. We're sitting at like ninety-two. So yes, we are. If uh, you know, if eight people would you know feel like maybe going and pushing us over that threshold, that would be that would be just peachy. More reviews means that more people see our show and that makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Breath of the Wild in its recap episode. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Breath of the Wild can be played on the Nintendo Wii U or the Nintendo Switch. In the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss, we will catch y'all Next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Shops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameShops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.